0: Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Freedom, 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 freedom? Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? freedom, freedom. You're listening to The Flipside with Noah Philippiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet Flipside swag at
1: www.patreon.com slash Noah
2: What is up? Flipapodomai, welcome to episode 67 of the flip side podcast flip side is brought to you by angry brew rocking my angry brew hat today coffee with a punch blow your mind i am drinking the last of my chris's blend bag mixed with my new bag of angry brew both from five lakes head to five lakes Dot com or angrybrew.com, use the promo code FLIP and get 10% off your order. And in doing so, you also support the flip side. So, thank you. Thank you for listening. We have been talking about just some real issues. I feel like the theme of the flip side recently, and just in general, if you were to go over back through all 67 episodes, is we talk about real issues. Uh, You might say, some have said that right in, we talk about issues not talked about in church on a a regular basis and issues that need to be talked about uh, as Christians. And so today, that theme will continue. Uh, We have talked about LGBTQ people uh, before on the podcast and that subject and topic and how the church relates to it theologically. Uh, We've done that before. And uh, this Ju- this is June. We're, we're recording this in June. This episode will will come out in June. This uh, June, like it is every year, is uh, Pride Month. And I don't know, you know, for me, I'm 39, and I would certainly say that in my lifetime, uh, the topic what, what would have been called 10 years ago, homosexuality, we don't really use that phrase anymore, uh, only because it's, it dehumanizes the subject. It kind of turns it into I, I I don't know. It just has sort of a judgmental sound to it. Uh, but but the topic of LGBTQ people, the the topic of same sex attraction, man that that topic has in my lifetime shifted more than any other topic socially. Uh, theologically, that's out there. And it just continues. It continues to shift. Uh, you know, th- things are different today than they were five years ago in the church, in society, even Pride Month itself. I, I think it probably was, I think, maybe, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago when I first heard of Pride Month. And it was a, it was a very kind of on the outskirts of society, some Maybe some some pride parades that you'd see in some prominent LGBT communities, but you know now nowadays, it's Pride Month is everywhere. I I I one of my vices is cell phone video games, <laughs> and you know I I see Pride Month on my my cell phone video game. There's there's characters for Pride Month you know that are in rainbows and uh and, and you see all, almost every uh, almost every major. Uh, I don't know about almost every, but many, many major you know corporations, companies are celebrating Pride Month, and uh, just you know more and more. And and in the, in the church, church denominations and individual churches are are really ripping at the seams, dividing at the seams, uh, based on stances that that denominations and churches are taking. Often, a denomination will have the traditional view of marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, and, but individual churches are, are sort of living that out in, in different ways and, uh, and individual churches becoming more progressive and it's called open and affirming is the name of the theology of saying, you know, we as a church or a individual a pastor, Christian, uh, open and affirming would be, you know, we are, I am okay with I I don't know the right phrasing, but basically believing like, you know, God, the Bible is okay with uh, same-sex sex, sex, same-sex marriage, uh, that sort of thing. And so churches, denominations are just ripping at the seams. You know, I I live in Grand Rapids, depending on where you're listening from, you may or may not be super familiar with the Christian Reformed Church, but here in the west side of Michigan, it is the uh, epicenter of the Christian Reformed denomination, as well as the Reformed Church of America denomination, and uh, the CRC, which is Calvin University, they just had their, you know, kind of annual meeting for their denomination. It was in just in the Christianity Today news, at least, and, and I, I saw some stuff on Twitter as well of, of them, I guess, you know, doubling down on their their theological statement about marriage between a man and a woman. I don't know all, all the details of that, uh, but, I, but I do know there's churches breaking away from the CRC now uh, because of that decision because they're open and affirming, you know, uh, uh, few, I don't have the episode offhand. Now that I'm on video, uh, shout out to video. If you want to watch this on YouTube, head over to youtube.com slash Noah Philippiak. Now that I'm on video, I can't quite as easily, uh, open up my other screen and find what episode other episodes are on. But I interviewed Nate Collins. Uh, Nate Collins is an openly gay, uh, man who's Christian. Uh, he's a theologian and, um, He's an author of a book called "All But Invisible," talking about LGBTQ Christians. Uh, but what's unique about Nate is he's in a. Uh, uh, oh come on, I'm, the video throws me off. A mixed orientation marriage. Thank you. It came finally. Uh, Nate is in a mixed orientation marriage, so he's he's married to a woman, uh, who who is uh, heterosexual. He is homosexual. I only use that because I just said heterosexual. See that? Uh, there, there. Sometimes it's. Uh, it's anyway, <laughs> uh, I, am not being, I'm not being sarcastic there. I, uh, that, that word, um, here's what I mean. We, we use, we turn the word, you, you, those homosexuals, right? It just, it has a connotation to it like that, but in the, uh, I don't think medical is the right word, but in the orientation, I'm talking about heterosexual orientation, homosexual orientation, you get, you get where I'm coming from. So that's what a mixed orientation marriage is. It's, it's, uh, we're a, a Christian who, uh, and and we'll we'll talk more about this. Um, so uh, today, uh, Pastor Jack, uh, he's in a mixed orientation marriage. He is a gay Christian man uh, m- married to a a straight uh, a Christian woman, and uh, there are uh, a number of Christians who are gay, LGBT, uh, Q, um, and or some would use the phrase same sex attracted. But uh, they've, they've held on to the, the Bible's traditional view of marriage between a man and a woman. And uh, I interviewed Lori Krieg, uh, I think around this time last year. And she talked about her book, Impossible Marriage, which is uh, where, where she is. Uh, yeah, she would have a gay orientation, uh, homosexual orientation, and her husband, Matt, has, is straight. Has heterosexual uh, orientation, and so just working through what does that look like in a marriage. And next episode, episode sixty-eight, I'll be interviewing Jack and his wife Becky, and uh, talking about just some of the theological pieces that I'm we're gonna kind of t- hit on today, uh, but also about their marriage and how that works. And and you have an opportunity. I want to make sure I mention it now. I'll try to remember to mention it at the end. Uh, you have the opportunity to email in to the podcast questions. That you'd like to ask jack uh, and becky jack or becky and the podcast email is podcast at beyond uh speaking of beyond the battle.net you can head to beyond the battle.net we have a new uh beyond the battle.net uh, seven week small group coming up for guys uh guys that want to get stronger in their sexual purity that's another word <laughs> That is loaded now. That used to be normal, uh, but if you want to get stronger against temptation, against lust in all of its different forms, uh, head in head over to beyondthebattle.net. Sign up. It's a Sunday night group, Sunday night Eastern time. That is. Uh, jump in. We've got some open slots, and that's starting up this coming uh, Sunday. But uh, back to um, conversation at hand today. I'm gonna be. I'm going to be. Playing, uh, so audio listeners, you'll get the audio. If you want to watch the sermon and watch Jack preach, walk around, uh, you know that kind of thing. I'll have the video on on the YouTube. Um, and Jack did a sermon. I'd have to double check the date. Sorry, um, it was around a year ago. I, I I think is when I is when he delivered it. And he basically came out to his congregation. Uh, he's a church planter here in Grand Rapids, where I am, and is gay, married to a woman. His wife has known about this uh, since the beginning, and uh, his congregation did not. And God put it on his heart to not hide anymore. And uh, I- I've listened to a fair amount of talks on uh, LGBTQ+, plus um, on the topic... Of heterosexual versus homosexual attraction orientation. There's there's good books out there. I'm telling you, this sermon by Jack, in my opinion, it's the best thing I've ever listened to. It's the best, most concise uh, that I've ever listened to. And and here is. Whew, we got to we got to go slow through this topic. Take a sip of the Chris's. Blend slash Angry Brew cocktail, um, yeah. So this topic, man, my heart breaks how it is ripping apart the church. It really does. Um, my my stance, theologically and biblically, the ultimate uh, here, pastors, uh, denominational leaders we we have to have a stance on scripture, right? And it's crazy, first of all, to think about all the denominations in, the, in all the churches and Christians. And we're all reading the same Bible and, and many of us uh, believe it's God's word. And yet we still come to very different conclusions on these things. Uh, here's what I've noticed over the last few years. With, like I said, you know, the the rise of of the the Pride Month movement and just in general, um, even the last year. You know, I have kids and little kids. And, you know, on the little kids TV channels, um, it's becoming normal to have episodes about a uh, gay character uh, meeting another, you know, um, little kids books. Um, Very normal now to get these books from the library and be like, oh, this book's about... Uh, You know, something that has to do with a gay relationship or uh, maybe a trans uh, situation where a child discovers that they're trans or something like that. Um, And a couple things. Um, Man, my, I have my sweet Angry Brew hat on and uh, I, I just need to make a little adjustment here. I think my headphones are a little a little tight at the top. I think I just fixed it. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, th- this whole topic, it's a minefield, right? Even as, I, as you're listening. <clears throat> I know people from my church are listening probably to the podcast. And we're going to do it at Mosaic. We'll do a series on sex um, at some point. Not sure when. Sooner than later. And I, I think a whole series on sex is really important to talk about. Um, God's design for sex for all of us, and certainly myself, sharing vulnerably about my own struggles to stay within the bounds, you know, that God that God lays out. And what I what I love about Jack, first of all, is he um, he he often talks about how we're all uh, we're all in the same boat. And you might think, no way, gay and straight people aren't in the same boat when it comes to this subject. Um, jack would disagree he would say we are in the same boat and i'll i'll ask him about that next episode for sure um but we will talk about this slowly uh at mosaic and with a ton of compassion and yeah if anyone from my pod from my church is listening and is may have a different view than me on this i would just say wait until we do that series because we just can't hit it all in a podcast. Um, but I'll say this. I, For those that have the traditional view of marriage, man and a woman, um, I think it's important to understand that your fellow Christians who are open and affirming, by and large, they are open and affirming because they are leaning into... Um, Jesus' command that says the greatest commandment is love god and then second is to love your neighbor all the commands are tied up in this so this idea of loving neighbor uh, means equality for lgbtq people and it's just it's important that those that hold to a traditional view of sex and marriage between a man and a woman within marriage only understand that that is the motivation. It is a biblical motivation for the majority of open and affirming Christians, and 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 I really think we, I really hope we can stop yelling at each other. I hope we can stop Bible beating each other, beating each other over the head uh, with the Bible. Um, and I think culturally. Sus- societally i don't like the word secular but you know what i mean in the world out there beyond the church uh when you see pride month and rainbows and pride parades and solidarity with lgbtq people i believe that much of that heart is for equality and compassion uh for People to be treated equally, people not to be ostracized. Particularly, you have to know the long history of abuse within the church and within society of LGBTQ people, um, bullying, being ostracized, being fired from jobs, having legal, legal rights um, taken away from them, uh, let alone murders. Let alone suicide, suicide that comes um, from the, the the way society and the church has handled this subject. So, I just think it's really important to, to acknowledge that, and to um, whatever side you're on, so to speak. In, in some ways, you, you some ways you have you do have to choose what you're going to do with this, with scripture on this. You have to choose a response. But we, we have to be compassionate. We have to be loving. And some would say, I've certainly been accused of this online. Um, you know, don't read too much into online vitriol. But some would say you can't be loving. You can't be compassionate. If you, if you say that sex and marriage, uh, if you say that, sex is meant for a man and a woman within marriage. I definitely disagree. I think you can certainly hold to that view and be compassionate and loving. And I think there's just so many nuances too. And I hold a nuanced view. And if you're not willing to get into the nuances of this, if if you see this as a political issue, I'll be real, I talked about politics in my last episode, Gun Control and Abortion the way we talk about issues. Um, Oh man, so nuanced. And and there's a blessing and a curse to being able to see both sides. (laughs) There's a blessing and a curse to that. Um, But when we make this a political issue, it just easily devolves and all the nuance devolves. If you don't... It, when I say you, if you are listening as a conservative Christian, uh, I mean conservative theologically. Um, if you don't have legit friends, legit relationships with LGBT people, and LGBT is gay, homosexual orientation, T is trans, did a podcast interview with Preston Sprinkle around a year ago as well, on his book *Embodied*. Check that out. Talking about seriously, I f- forgive me. I don't know the correct phrasing, but know that my heart is not to alienate anyone. Um, people who are trans, p- people who are trans, I um, men who who. Men who ex- experience life as a as a woman, even if though biologically they have male anatomy, or the other way around, uh, women who experience life as male, as a man, even though they have female anatomy. Um, if you get your views on this subject, if you're straight and a conservative Christian, and if you if you if you get your views on this solely from straight people um i don't know how to say this politely i mean i just don't think you you should i don't think you should um i don't think you should jump into this conversation yeah i don't think you should jump into this conversation because and until you you legit leg, and legitimately have friends and relationships and with people that are not straight that are not straight and these could be christians who who are picking up their cross and following jesus and following the traditional view of of sex and marriage between a man and a woman and it's super super hard and they're living it out this could be christians who are open and affirming they're lgbt they're in relationships this could be non-christians uh, but, but to have empathetic relationships with people that struggle with these issues. Back in the day, and and, and certainly there's, um, I'm sure people still out there who would, who would think this way. But in the 90s, when I was, uh, I would have been in middle school and then in high school in the 90s. Those are my youth group days. Graduated high school in 2001. In the '90s, we all, meaning conservative Christians, and I think most of culture, we believed people chose to be gay. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm not gonna go after women. I'm gonna go after men. This just sounds good. Sounds fun. And so the the subject of of homosexuality was treated that way. It was, it was. Oh, I can't even, it takes a lot of emotions to get into the depth of that. And I'm not sure that I have that right now. I don't know if I have that. The sad, the sadness, the sadness and the pain, right? Um, but a lot of the ex-gay, uh, the conversion therapy, um, that was a big part of the 90s as well. But we we just lambasted gay people we being the church, because you, you're you choosing it. Why would you choose this evil thing? Okay, just fast forward to today. And, and I think this is why mo- a lot, there's been so many shifts within the church because as you get to know people that are gay, same-sex attracted, as well as trans, uh, that's, an, again, sometimes I, I wonder why those two get clumped together because they're very different struggles. But the similarity is, by and large most people are not choosing that attraction are not choosing that orientation and are not are not choosing that uh, gender identity and you have to say even why would you choose it right why would you choose it when you're going to face being bullied and ostracized and you know all those sorts of things even as society gets more accepting certainly there's still bullying and ostracizing particularly within family systems and uh oh, so now, two sides of a coin. Sure, certainly. Pride Month, and in society, uh, I, I I remember, you know, Miley Cyrus saying, "Forgive me, I didn't Google this right beforehand, and it's been a while." She's she's. I think she said she was pansexual. Uh, you know, I I think there there is a, um, there's a there's a new song on the radio. My wife pointed out. I do not listen to the top 40 music station, quote unquote music, because I don't believe it's music, (laughs) but my wife and children do. And uh, there's a song. I don't know this person's name. I am not up on pop culture. My kids watch Disney movies. Descendants is a big uh, popular show movie uh, for little kids. If you have little kids my age, especially girls, you've seen it descendants one two and three it's a musical so there's this 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 main character um oh i wish i knew her name i'm sorry she's been in a bunch of other things since then but now she's singing she's a singer and uh she's she's singing in the song about oh what does she say she's like singing to a girl telling the girl to leave her boyfriend and come with her the singer like i would be a better girlfriend to you than your boyfriend uh, is being to you as a boyfriend. And so let's be real too. Hollywood has been messed up sexually for a very long time. Uh we go back to even what I was saying about sex being between a man and a woman within marriage. That's pretty narrow. And uh let's what 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 often happens in this let me how long have I been going for? I I <laughs> I'm trying to get the Jack Sermon, but I have obviously a lot of thoughts on this because it's so, I haven't talked about it for a while in the podcast, um, but you know, we, we as conservative Christians, we overlook um, rock stars, athletes, how normal it is uh, for, to just have sex with, I'm talking about dozens of people, I'm talking about hundreds of people, I'm talking about thousands of people. And we just are like, yeah, but at least it's straight. At least it's heterosexual. <laughs> that is so far away from God's design for sex, and we generally don't even care or say anything about it. Let alone, man. I want to ask Jack uh, and Becky their thoughts on. So Matthew nineteen, some would say Jesus never makes a claim about gay marriage about gay relationships he does it's in matthew 19 in verse 5 starting at the beginning of 19 he's asked about divorce and he says hey you've heard it was said and he quotes genesis 1 or is it 224 i forget 224 one of the two <laughs> they're both good <coughs> um but he says hey you've heard it was said a man will leave his father and mother be united to his wife, they will become one flesh. What God has joined together, let nobody separate. And the Pharisees, asking the religious leaders or his disciples, one of the two, uh, I'm paraphrasing, they, go, wow, that's really narrow. That's really harsh. It's better for somebody not to marry, is what they say. Jesus says, you, oh, oh, because he just said, after saying that, he goes, and if someone gets a divorce and they remarry they've committed adultery so remarriage is adultery and we remarry all the time in the church and we don't consider it adultery or maybe we do and just i don't know i'm going to ask jack about that and becky i've always struggled with that because i i know i have a friend who who is open and affirming strictly be, not strictly but uh that's part of the reason he's like the church doesn't care about this but then they they're hypocrites and they they say they care about you know these homosexual relationships so much. But but anyway, my point is Jesus affirms marriage as a man and a woman right there. And, and he affirms sex only in marriage within a man and a woman, you call one flesh. That's the design of, of sex. A man and a woman uh, is one flesh. And it's a metaphor for Jesus's relationship with the church. And Matt and Lori Krieg's book, Impossible Marriage, very good on that. Check that out. They talk about that as that's their motivation in their marriage. Mixed orientation marriage is that marriage is designed to be a metaphor of Christ and the church uh, being one and the love relationship between Jesus and the church, and that is symbolized by a man and a woman, honestly, in intercourse, one flesh. That's what the Bible's talking about. And so, where was I? Um, I was talking about athletes, rock stars. Just kind of this. Oh, yeah. And then I was quoting Miley Cyrus and the, sorry, the girl from Descendants who has the song. But what I was trying to say is I, I, I hear you. I, I know it's not all. It's it's not. So so most of the LGBT people I know, they're seven years old. They're 10 years old. Jack talks about being in seventh grade and they realize they're gay. They're like, they, you know, my friend was seven. He, didn't, he hadn't even hit puberty yet. And he's attracted to men, to boys. And, you know, they try to pray it away. They pray, 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 pray. God, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. And it, it doesn't go away. Uh, that is the majority. That is the majority. But certainly with how messed up sexually culture has already been, and what I mean, you could, and I talk about this in my book, Beyond the Battle, you can go to the Match.com does a singles in America survey, and they basically survey singles on their sex life. Guys, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's these are heterosexual, you know, majority of heterosexual people answering these questions. The percentage of people that are that are participating in like threesomes and just just this kind of very um, just multiple partners and even open marriages. And I mean, this stuff is. We as a culture have have become, basically, animals, just and sex when it comes to our sex lives and sex is to me the most effective and popular drug that's out there right and and it doesn't satisfy any of us yet we're all hooked on it and we're all told everywhere that we need more and more and more of it and if we get you know wilder and crazier with it then that of course you know of course will satisfy it i firmly believe it does not satisfy anybody and that's why everybody needs more of it, more and more and more of it. Within a healthy marriage, it can be satisfying. That is the one place it can be satisfying. Um, and there's also tons of marriages with with really messed up, I, what I, I shouldn't say messed up, but just broken sex lives because it's, it's just, it's not simple. It's not simple. There's a lot of pain there. So don't hear me as saying marriage is the place where your sex life will be amazing. Uh, marriage is where it's safe. Or it's supposed to be safe, and and it certainly can be uh, within within a healthy marriage. And um, but but that is not a promise or a guarantee by any means. Um, but but my point is, yes, the more open our our culture is, and I think in that sense we're in the same boat that our culture's philosophy has become, um. Do whatever you want with your body and and that's acceptable and that's acceptable and in that sense we're in the same boat uh because first corinthians 6 paul quotes the corinthians saying that um everything's permissible for me um that's and they were saying the stomach the body um, the stomach is for food food for the stomach that's a way of saying the body's meant for sex when you're when you're hungry eat when you want to have sex go have sex that is our culture today. It's a mess. It's all messed. It's all. It's all intertwined. It's all messy. Okay, so I need to get to the sermon. This was not meant to be me talking. Uh, I just did though. That's okay. It's my. It's my podcast, right? Jack's sermon is so good, and here's what I love about it. He um, so Jesus does this thing in John four with the woman at the well. She's she's been with five men. The man she's married to. She's been married five times. The man she's, been, she's with now, she's living with, is not her husband. And Jesus does this thing where he... I really need to read these passages before I get on live with you. Not live, but I'm not editing this out. <laughs> I think he does this in John 4. He certainly does it multiple times through, throughout the New Testament. But he says he forgives somebody and he shows them so much grace. He accepts them. He loves them. He's empathetic. He's truly loving and compassionate, and and just life on life. People are drawn and attracted to Jesus. He he drew uh, the the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the outcasts of society to him. But he also would say, "Go and sin no more." And, and he didn't have a problem saying that. He, and he said it multiple times. But it was it was always. Um, it was always with such a magnet of grace that that drew people to him. And I think Jack does that in his sermon. And so please listen. And then as you listen, think of questions that you want to ask Jack. And uh, again, this is a, a gay pastor talking about his life in the church and then with this issue and his heart his heart to love LGBTQ people well, and to embrace them and bring them into his church, and yet he holds to a a traditional view, biblical view, of sex and marriage. And so, one last thing before I uh, before I end my part here, um, particularly for those listening who attend Mosaic, my church, um, I I don't. I no longer believe that everybody, maybe, maybe this is provocative for some to hear, but I don't believe it's even realistic anymore for everybody in a local church to agree on this issue. I think 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty black and white. It was like, yo, you're going to agree to this if you're going to go here. Uh, I think it's important that leadership agrees. I think it's important that there's a theological stance made by leadership in the church and denominations. I don't think it's realistic that everybody in the congregation is going to agree on this. I would say this. If you think that's true, you're already wrong. You, The person next to you, you think holds the same view as you. They don't. <laughs> I know because I know some of the views that you hold and they're different. Um, so I think that's part of the new reality of, of, uh, of church. And I will say this too. I know of churches that never talk about sexuality. They never talk about gay, lesbian sexuality. They never talk about transgender identities. And the reason is they don't want to lose people from their church who who would have a different view as them. And if they just never talk about it, they can never get into legal trouble. They can never become a target. And I and, and and I would say that is a disservice to LGBTQ people. Whatever your view is, whether you're open and affirming, or you have a hold a traditional biblical view of, of marriage and sex as a man and a woman, the reason is when you never talk about it, you don't even validate that those people exist. You don't even validate that they they are struggling. You don't even validate that they are real, and they're sitting in your church. I promise you that they're in your church. The people that are that are that are wrestling with their own sexuality and their own orientation, and and attraction, and when you never address it, you leave them to wrestle with it alone. And I just don't think the church is ever a place where we're meant to be alone. Is it messy? Heck, yes, it's messy. It's it's uh, yes. This is messy. Di- this, the last 30-whatever minutes have been messy. Huh. All right, let me get to Jack's sermon. It's really good. It's better than everything I just said. <laughs> uh, be- before we jump into the sermon, just uh quick thanks to Covenant Eyes for sponsoring the podcast. Um, I'm going to play a little, a little advertisement uh, from Covenant Eyes. And I guess yeah, they're great. I'll let I'll let the uh, the ad, which is me talking, I'll let it do the talking, and then we're gonna jump right into Jack's sermon, and then uh, I'll close up the podcast with just a few brief thoughts, as well as a Noah's rant, and then uh, we'll see you next episode. Email the show podcast at beyondthebattle.net if you want to ask Jack and his wife Becky any questions. Pornography—it's not a comfortable subject. But 94% of men and 87% of women have seen pornography at some point in their lives. Has porn impacted your life and your relationships? Here's the good news. You can begin the journey to freedom today and have peace of mind knowing you're not alone in the fight. That's how Covenant Eyes works, through biblical accountability. When you sign up, you choose an ally to receive your device reports and walk with you towards a life free from porn and the life that God desires for you. Try it free for 30 days by visiting CovenantEyes.com and enter promo code BEYOND at checkout. That's CovenantEyes.com, promo code BEYOND at checkout. Freedom begins today.
0: As you know, today I'm going to be talking about some things that will probably make me feel a little bit vulnerable. And they'll probably make some of you feel a little bit nervous and anxious and a little bit uncomfortable. So thank you for being willing to come today and to talk about some people that God loves. Thank you for being willing to be a little bit uncomfortable today as we talk about some people. I want to make a deal with you. I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to be transparent with you. And Becky and I commit to that. So the discussion doesn't end here this morning. If you have questions or comments or concerns, we ask that you would contact us or talk to us. And many of you know of online people, my email is lakeeffect.church. We look forward to hearing from you if you have any comments or questions. So let me start a little bit easy today. I'm going to share some things that are pretty personal about me. So we'll start a little bit easier. I'll tell you something about me that probably a lot of you know. I easily get distracted, <laughs> very easily. There's one reason I manuscript my message word for word. It's because I know myself well enough to know that halfway through the message, I will get bored and I'll just walk off stage and probably vacuum. And that's just kind of what I do. So I, I, that's just kind of a little bit how I am and it makes reading very difficult for me. It's hard for me to sometimes concentrate reading because my mind's always going five different directions. So what I have to do when I read, I have to be very strategic when I read. If I read a book, I have to go and say, what am I looking for in that book? I always ask myself a question when I read, and I especially have to do that when I read the Bible, because if I read the Bible without asking questions, it means nothing to me. So usually when I open the Scripture, I'll start asking myself questions, and I look for answers in that text. It's a really beneficial way to read. It works really well for me, but I'll tell you, to be honest with you, sometimes I find my answer right away, and that's really good, and other times I read and I don't find my answer, and it gets a little bit frustrating because... I don't have time to figure it out. There's one question that I've had a lot when I read the Bible, and it's from Genesis three that I'll read this passage, and I always have the same question. I'm never f- able to figure out the answer. A lot of you are familiar with Genesis three, that's the story of Adam and Eve. They sin against God. After they sin, they realize they are naked, so they cover themselves. And I've always wondered why did they cover themselves? If you read the Hebrew text, the word for covered means that they made a loincloth. That they made like an apron that they put around their waist. And I always wondered, why? They didn't sin in that part of their body. I mean, if they're going to cover something that sinned, why not cover their mouth? Or maybe cover their hands? Or better yet, just cover your entire body after your sin. Why did they just cover that one part of themselves? If you grew up in Sunday school, you saw the pictures that's actually accurate Hebrew, they covered that part of themselves. So I've always wondered that question. I've kind of read a few different responses over the years, but I never found anything that good that satisfied me. It wasn't until about a couple months ago, I was listening to a teacher by Dr. Kurt Thompson. Kurt Thompson is a Christian psychiatrist who specializes in the field of shame and neurobiology. He's a really smart guy, a smart counselor and a really good pastor. And I liked his answer. He said, when we experience shame, our first reaction is to cover the parts of ourselves that are different from other people, and then we hide. I thought that was a really good answer. That when we experience shame, one of the first things that we do is we cover the parts of ourselves that are different, and then we hide. And often, the followers of Jesus, we not only hide, but we also hide from God. And that's why God's first answer to Adam and Eve was, Where are you? Because they were hiding. So before we begin today, I want to ask you a question Are any of you hiding? I'm going to share with you today my story of shame. I'm going to share with you my story of how I tried to cover and hide. But I want to ask you the question, are any of you experiencing shame that causes you to try to cover yourself and hide as well? I think it's really important that we wrestle with that question, are you hiding? Because it's easy to do. And I believe that God gives each of us a desire to be found. And sometimes, the best way to be found is to know that you're hiding. So I want to share with you today my story of being found. But in order to do that, I have to share with you my story of hiding. That comes first. So let me take you to that place. i got to bring you back to middle school. And if that's any surprise that your childhood trauma started in middle school, I don't know what else is. I was excited for middle school. I I, I hated school, but I was excited for middle school. Middle school was going to be fun. You get your own locker, put your own books in there, get to go from class to class. You no longer have recess, you get breaks. That was going to be fun. And the one thing that my middle school had going for it is that it had a vending machine. There was nothing better of middle school than that vending machine. I mean, it was was the 70s. It was a beautiful piece of technology. It only took coins. Didn't have to scramble trying to fit those dollar bills in there. Didn't have to worry about putting your credit card in there and wondering the rest of the day if you bought lunch for everybody else in the school. I loved the idea of having a vending machine. I could buy my own snacks, didn't have to rely on trusting my mom was going to put the right one in there. But little did I know that that vending machine would become the metaphor that I would use for the next three decades to describe pain and discomfort in my life. See, my new freedom in middle school was captured by a bully. It was one of the first days of middle school and I was excited to go to that vending machine, get what I wanted from that vending machine. And on my way to that vending machine, another student called me a fag. And I thought, what's that? I didn't know what that was. And I didn't think my peers around me really understood what that was, so maybe that would be okay. Nobody really understood. So I got my red licorice and went to class. But that was just the beginning of the nightmare. For the next two years, every time this boy would see me, he would call me a fag or gay or homo, whatever corruption of the word he could think of. That would be my label for the day. That was difficult. Now, the good thing that was going on. The good thing that was happening is I didn't really know what gay was. I didn't know what a faggot was. I didn't know what homo was. So it really didn't bother me that much, except I was a smart enough kid to know it's probably not a good thing what he's calling me. And I don't think most of my classmates knew either. I went to a good Christian school in Grand Rapids, but let's say they probably didn't do the best when it came to sex education. I think we were a little cautious in our school of what to say. In fact, in our, little, in our little book on sex ed that we had in sixth grade, they showed a picture of how horses mate. I could never figure that one out. Trying to teach two-legged human beings how four-legged animals mate just doesn't really work well. But that was our sex education back in Grand Rapids in the 70s. I think it was our Christian school's way of saying, let's combine sex ed and abstinence all in one hour. (laughs) Because most people walked out of that sex ed class and thought, how is that possible? (laughs) So I guess it did kind of work well in some way. But those were painful years of middle school. I think I spent most of my time at school uh, doing one of two things. Either I was trying to figure out where he was or how I would confront him if I saw him. So what I did, I spent most of my time at school just trying to navigate the hallways, trying to figure out where is he, where am I at all times to avoid him. But I also would go home every night and I would play out these scenarios in my head. If I found, if I ran, if I can got in front of my bully again, what I would say to him. That I would have the perfect comeback. I would practice that. I would rehearse that all night. I would have this great comeback for him. But every day for two years, I never had a comeback. Instead, I would just go home with more bruises. But that wasn't the hard part. The hard part wasn't being called a faggot for two years. The hard part wasn't the shame and the experience. I was experience. The hard part wasn't the hiding. The hard part wasn't trying to figure out what I would say to him. The hard part was figuring out what all those words that he called me, what they really meant. That was the hard part, because I figured out he was right, that I was gay. That everything he called me was true. Here I was, I was 12. I was scared. I had been bullied for two years. I was confused. And I was gay. I had no idea how it happened. And I had no idea what to do about it. So like Adam and Eve, I tried to cover myself i tried to cover what was different about me from the rest of the world but i had a problem i wasn't invisible so i couldn't cover myself so i thought high school that will be the that will change things go to new high school new address things would all get better unfortunately my problems and my desires continued to follow me I didn't really know much about being gay back then except I was very convinced of one thing that God hates gay people and by then it was the early 80s and that's a pretty logical conclusion for a 15 year old when you hear the banter of the religious right it's pretty easy for a 15 year old to come to the conclusion that God hates gay people For many on the religious right, they blame the problems in America on gay people. And the gay community was not only the enemy, but it was the target. And I was 15. So the only thing that I really knew what to do was to pray, which is a good thing. But prayer is kind of complicated when you think that God already hates you. And how do you continue to pray to a God that you don't have much faith in? Because after all, he never stopped my bully, and he never made me straight. I had a complicated relationship with God. See, my only real hope was that my feelings would pass. So I thought, well, maybe college would be the answer. I'll move away to college. I'll live at college. I'll be a whole new thing. Maybe then my life will get in order. But unfortunately, all my feelings and my desires followed me. And in fact, my desires were actually increasing So I thought, well, maybe when I graduate from college. Unfortunately, graduating from college was not the threshold to heterosexuality either. Kind of at that point, I knew I had run out of possibilities because I figured out there was no magical on-off switch to turn off my feelings. But it also became very aware to me that to be gay in the church was not a safe place to be. So after college I stopped asking why I stopped expecting that I would change and I started to say what am I going to do now because I wanted to follow my desires that felt normal that felt natural I wanted to do that I was tired of living in shame I was tired of living in fear and the words of my bully still haunted me years later. So I thought I know what I'll do I'll just move away. I'll move to some big city, I'll pursue my desires. Occasionally, I'll come back to Grand Rapids and pretend to be straight in front of my family. That was my plan. That's what I was going to do. Until somebody invited me to go on a men's Christian weekend retreat. And I went. That's kind of surprising for me. That's something that I typically wouldn't do. I don't like those kind of things. And at the time, I drank a lot, and I knew there wouldn't be alcohol, so I really didn't want to go. <laughs> but I went anyway, and actually the surprising thing, I actually liked it. And there's one point in the weekend I actually thought it made me straight. I was pretty convinced it did until a few days later, I'm like, no, nah, that didn't work so I got asked to go on the weekend again this time they said would you work on a weekend I thought great another shot I thought I got straight again nope A few days later it was all back again then I got asked to work on another weekend but that weekend changed my life It didn't change my life because I got straight on this weekend. It changed my life because I met Jesus on this weekend. In a way I never did before. Let me tell you what happened. I was on the weekend and everybody was going to go to bed and go to sleep. And another guy in the weekend, Ron, he prayed for us. He said, let's let's go hang out and talk for a while. So I thought, cool, I'll talk to Ron. Ron, I knew Ron in college. We went to college together. We probably weren't friends. We probably knew each other's first names. That's probably as far as our relationship went and probably we're at a lot of same parties together. And so Ron said, hey, let's go outside and talk for a while. And I thought, sure, I'll talk to Ron. Ron to me was a guy that had it all put together. He had everything going right. He was your example of perfect. So I thought, sure, I'll go talk to Ron for a couple hours. And over the next couple of hours, he got honest and raw with me, and he shared his story with me. See, Ron wasn't as perfect as what I thought he was. He was not gay, but he had this huge encounter with the Lord that transformed his entire life. He was a completely different person. I had never heard somebody share a testimony like that with me of what God had done in his life, and I thought, Wow. Even though Ron didn't have the same struggle I had, I thought, well, maybe, just maybe, God could do for me what he did for Ron. But I knew that would require me telling Ron my story. So, I waited. Probably took me about a month or two before I went and I shared my story with him. I remember preparing to talk to him. And I honestly thought he was going to tell me I was disqualified. I expected that answer, but he did something different that I didn't expect. He showed me love. He showed me compassion. He showed me kindness. He listened to my story. And he asked me questions. He showed me acceptance. And he showed me how to begin to put Christ first in my life. See, up to that point, everything that was first in my life was my sexuality. How to hide that, how to conceal it, how to get rid of it. And he began to teach me how to put Jesus first in my life. And I followed his advice. And some of you might be wondering did telling Ron make me straight? It didn't. I was hoping it would, but it didn't. But it did teach me how to depend on Christ, and that's what I needed. I'm still not straight. Now, to become straight, that was pretty much the expectations of the church in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. The ideology was that gay people would become straight if they dealt with their past and they followed Jesus. That was pretty simple. Deal with whatever issue or trauma you have with a child and follow Jesus, and he'll take care of you and make you straight. I was even told that that could happen as late as my honeymoon night. Now imagine that little surprise after you get married. There's a whole nother story when it comes to that part of our life. I don't have time to get into all that. As Becky and I were putting the service together, we're like, "How do we? How do you condense this?" So anyway. If you have questions, just save them for next week. Next week, I do want to talk about marriage because I know a lot of people, their first question is, how are you married? That's a good answer. But that's going to take a whole, that's going to take a little bit of time to kind of talk about. But the, the idea was that gay people could become straight. It was what it was called reparative therapy. The whole goal was you find out what went wrong in your childhood, you pray that God heals it, and boom, you have a straight person. It sounds like a really good plan. Sounds like that really should work. Problem is it doesn't work. Maybe it worked for a few people over the decades, but it really doesn't work. See, reparative therapy it had good intentions, but overall it was a disaster. And it hurt a lot of people. See, one of the biggest problems with reparative therapy is that it's based on one big assumption. And the assumption is false. The Bible never promises that all gay people will become straight. God never promised that if you deal with your childhood problems, you would become straight. The Bible never says as you grow in your relationship with Christ, as you grow in your disciple with Christ, that you would develop same-sex attractions. The Bible doesn't say that. See the problem with reparative therapy is that all of its teachings were extra biblical. They made claims and assumptions that simply were not accurate. But after decades of reparative therapy where gay people that become straight, it made people just wonder, why not? Why doesn't God just make all gay people straight? That seems like a really good plan. That seems like a lot easier plan. So people continue to ask, well, isn't it God's goal that all gay people become straight? See, that question is usually rooted in the assumption that to be, to simply be gay or to simply be same-sex attracted is sinful. In other words, the quest to make people straight is driven by the idea that if you have a homosexual orientation, or if you have same-sex attractions, that in itself is sinful. So the idea was, if a gay person wants to follow Jesus, they need to become straight first. This is really important to hear what I'm going to say. The Bible never supports that idea of having a gay orientation is sinful. There is no scripture to support that if a person is same-sex attracted, that they are sinful. What many people did was they would take the scripture that prohibits sexual behavior and they would say, if you have a propensity towards that behavior, then you're automatically sinful. That doesn't make sense. We don't do that with straight people. But people had fun doing that with gay people. It was kind of an easy way to discredit a gay person, say if you have same-sex attractions, boom, you're sinful. But we haven't done that with straight people. See, our attractions and our orientations, they do not make us guilty of sin. Being gay doesn't mean that you do sexual sin. The same way being straight doesn't mean you do sexual sin. A person becomes sinful when they use their sexuality in a way that God never intended. That causes sin. I think it's important to hear this next point I'm going to make. The word gay doesn't mean gay sex. The word gay refers to an orientation. And I'll tell you, this is a complicated word study here. A lot of our definitions of words are informed by culture. Not always what the dictionary has to say. You ask a younger person what gay means, they'll tell you it's an orientation. You ask an older person what gay means, and generally they'll tell you it's behavior. You ask a very conservative person in the church what gay means, they'll tell you it's a behavior. You ask a person outside of church, they'll generally tell you it's an orientation. People use the word gay to mean a lot of different things. And it can be very confusing at times. But if you're, gonna st- if you're gonna enter into the LGBTQ discussion and you wanna have an influence in the lives of gay people, you're gonna have to learn to ask questions. You can't assume that because you have a label that you understand what that label means. You're going to have to ask questions and ask a lot of questions and stop making a lot of assumptions because a lot of times people's assumptions get them into a lot of trouble. So if God doesn't make all gay people straight, And if having a same-sex orientation doesn't make a person sinful, could it be that heterosexuality is not the goal? Let me repeat. If God doesn't make all gay people straight, and if having a same-sex orientation does not make a person sinful, could it be that heterosexuality is not the goal? What if a gay person becoming straight is not the goal? Could it be that God never planned to make all gay people heterosexual? Because heterosexuality is just as much a fallen condition as homosexuality. Perhaps both orientations fall short of God's intended plan for sexuality. Perhaps both orientations need God's plan of rescue and restoration. I think it's helpful to understand the Bible never brings up the word homosexual or heterosexual. Those are not biblical words. You will not find those words in those Bibles. The words did not come into play until the late 1800s by psychiatrists. God never divided people based on their sexual attractions or sexual desires. God doesn't come to rescue people of certain orientations. God comes to rescue all people. See, the hard reality is this. All people have disordered sexual desires every single person has disordered sexual desires straight people and gay people there's not one single person who hasn't experienced temptations or lust or inappropriate sexual desires every single person is going to need restoration of their sexuality just because a straight person Just because a person is straight doesn't make them void of temptations or lust or inappropriate sexual desires. Simply being human gives a person the capacity to sin. Perhaps it's perhaps it's God's goal to elevate all people to a place of freedom where they can make the best choices in the midst of their desires and their struggles. What if God had a bigger goal? What if God's goal went beyond your orientation? What if God's goal is that your relationship with Jesus would become more important to you than your sexuality or your orientation or your desires? What if God's goal was for all human beings, no matter what their desire, no matter their orientation, was to live a life in complete surrender to Jesus Christ? that each person would steward their sexuality and their sexual desires in a way that honors God and brings us true joy. See, I believe that's God's desire to put our relationship with Christ before any of our other desires. See, I think most Christians would agree with me that being gay or same-sex attracted does not necessarily make a person sinful. Instead, your behaviors is what causes you to sin. And hopefully after listening to me, you're realizing that God doesn't automatically make gay people straight and it's not something that's promised in the Bible. So that brings us to the biggest question of the day is, what is my sexual ethic? I realize that this answer here is divided churches, divided domin- denominations, of divided families. So I'm not going to tell you my sexual ethic yet. I will today. I'm not going to tell you yet because conviction is not the place to begin the LGBTQ discussion. We can't start with conviction. The place to begin is to always start with compassion. And I think as a church we have often led with our conviction. There's absolutely nothing wrong with conviction. That's good. But I think the best way to model Jesus' behavior is to lead with compassion without compromising your conviction. But way too often we like to lead with conviction and we turn people off. See, the reason that I'm standing here today is because of compassion. Compassion. It's because of the grace of God. It's because of the love of God. It was the kindness that Ron and Susie showed me 30 years ago. It was the kindness that Susie's parents showed me 30 years ago. It was the kindness that Becky showed me. It was the kindness that my friend showed me who I shared my story with. See if you want a sexual ethic to follow it has to start with love as a foundation. If you want to start with conviction it's not going to work very well. Earlier Donna read my scripture for me that says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Did you hear what that said? The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on the two commandments to love other people. We need to lead with love and we need to show other people love. So people ask me, what is your sexual ethic at Lake Effect Church? I want to be honest and tell you as well. I do believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. I do believe that sex is for marriage. I do believe in the historical definition of marriage and sexuality. And I also recognize that some people might want to turn me off right now. that a lot of people want to stop listening to me right now because they don't agree with my sexual ethic. I would ask you to not turn off yet. I would ask you to continue to listen to me because there's more to the message of Christ than just a sexual ethic. I want people to know that they are welcome in Lake Effect Church no matter what their sexual ethic is or no matter what their behavior is or no matter what their ideology or never what their preference is. See, no person should be excluded from church because of behavior. No person should be excluded from coming to a church or feel like they have to cross a bridge and get cleaned up before they come to church. See, my goal as a pastor is not to change anybody, to try to force anybody to my sexual ethic, but my goal is that as a church and as a community, we would show you who Christ is And you can make your decision on your own. But each person should be allowed to have a place where they feel safe and secure to tell their story without judgment, without being mocked, or without being bullied even more. That's what church needs to be, a place to listen to people, So you might ask, why am I telling you my story today? See, I agree with a brilliant author, Nancy Percy. She says, what Christians do with their sexuality is one of the most important testimonies that they give to the surrounding world. What Christians do with their sexuality is one of the most important testimonies they give to the surrounding world. See, I could have lived my life without sharing the story publicly. That was my plan. I never planned on doing this today. I never would have been a pastor if you had told me this would come someday. I had a good plan. I had about 20 people that knew my story, and that was probably about good enough for me. But the truth is, I never told my story because I was still too ashamed. I never told my story because there's still a part of me that was hiding at the vending machine. About two and a half years ago, I was sleeping. And at 2.30 in the morning, I heard a voice say to me, do you love me? I knew it was the voice of God asking me that question. Because it's the same question that Jesus asked to Peter in the book of John when he said to Peter, do you love me? And I knew that was a loaded question. I knew what Jesus was saying to me that day is, would you surrender everything to me and trust me with your story? And I thought, oh no, no. I wrestled with bed, in bed till the morning with that. I got up and I thought, well, I'll tell Becky. Maybe I can get out of it. Maybe she'll say, no, that never happened. I told Becky what happened to me in the night. And she said, I always wondered how long it would be before this day would come. Again, there's a whole lot more to that story that we'll get to at another time. So, I made a desperate call to a friend. And I said, we got to talk. His name's Brad, and for the last two years... This would be a good time to go back to you. <laughs> I said to Brad, We need to talk. Brad's a pastor in Grand Rapids. I said, We need to talk. And so we got together for coffee. And I quick told him my entire story in five seconds, hoping he would say, Don't ever tell anybody. Instead, he leaned back in his chair. And with all the wisdom of Solomon, he looked at me and he said, How would your life be different if you didn't have to worry that people that people were going to figure out that you're not straight? How would your life be different if you didn't have to worry that people were going to figure out that you're not straight? I was speechless. Because I realized at that point I was still hiding. Here I was in my 50s, separated by 40 years from that vending machine, and I was still hiding. See, part of the reason I'm sharing this story is because we need to have conversations about sex and sexuality normalized in churches needs should be easy to talk about sex and sexuality and desires in the church. Church shouldn't be a place where people feel like they have to come to and pretend or come to and lie. But church is a place where people can be honest about what they're feeling and what they're experiencing so that their stories can intersect with the grace of God. The main reason That I'm here sharing this story is because my wife. I have an amazing wife. Unfortunately she was raised in a family where the great commission was a priority. It wasn't something you talked about. It was something you did daily. My wife grew up in a family where the great commission was on their car license plates. And for Becky this has never been a topic a conversation It's always been about people that need Jesus. And Becky's always been for me sharing my story. If it would help move a person closer to Christ. But this wasn't just my decision and Becky's together we made. It was a family decision. We couldn't do it without the support of our kids. Because as you know, this is a little bit of a controversial subject here. So we had the conversations with our kids. A lot of you know Nick, so Nick was okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's Sam. Sam. See, for Sam, if there's a reason to wave a flag, he's all in. <laughs> so, Sam is going to wave his flag all day long. Right, Sam? Right. Then there's my youngest son. He's a remarkable young man. Two years ago, Becky and I sat down to tell him my story. What's a 15-year-old going to say? We're a little bit worried about that one. But we knew we needed to tell him. Do you know what his his first reply was? After we told him, the first thing that he said was, when do we get to tell people? That's an amazing response for a 15-year-old. He knew he could receive some negative feedback. He's well aware of what this could cost him. But he's been saying for the last two years, if it's going to help other people, we need to do it. Our youngest son is pretty much led, Becky and I, into showing love and kindness and compassion to people that are different. So we're grateful for him and his willingness to say, I'm all in. Even when he knows none of us know what to expect tomorrow. thanks Trey. (laughs) See the beginning of the message I told you I easily get distracted. That's not my identity. That's not who I am. That's simply a little bit how I am. That's how I interact with the world. In the same way not being straight that's not my identity. Being same-sex attracted is not who I am, it's simply how I am, and that's how I relate to the rest of the world. And I'm okay with it. I don't need to become straight. That's not my prayer, that's not my request. I have Jesus. I'm all set. But it hasn't always been easy. It took me a lot of years to figure out that I have everything that I need. And as you are all aware, there's often a big gap between a person's desires and figuring out what they really need. See, if we're going to do what God has called us to do, we need to create a culture of love and acceptance. A lot of people in the church have hurt a lot of people in the gay community. Probably none of you have done that. But we need to be the people that can undo the damage that has been done. As a church, we need to show love and acceptance. As a church, we need to lead with compassion for the people that are different from us. We need to lead with love. We need to live with hope. We need to listen to people. we need to listen to people's stories church needs to create a culture where people feel comfortable talking about who they are and what they experience we need to create a culture in church where people feel loved and accepted where they don't have to hide but they can be honest and they can be vulnerable That's why Becky and I and Trey and Sam and Nick were doing this. Because we want to love people. And love them well. And I'm grateful for many of you, for all of you that have come today and listened online, because I know you want to love people as well. And show people kindness. So I ask Beck to come up and close out this message for me.
3: Jack, I, I've been with you a while, and I know the courage that that took. And I want to tell you that I am so proud of you for being willing to do this. Because I think it's going to make a difference. I honestly do. So thank you, Jack. You know, I just want to pray in closing. And as I do that, I just want to say that I couldn't quite figure out what exactly I should pray. Thank you for setting me up for this, Jack, until I grabbed my father's Bible and I opened it up. I was bequeathed this Bible when he passed away. And like you said, Jack and my mother is here today visiting with us from Texas. That the Great Commission always came first. That's the way it was for my family. That's the way it is for our family. And when I grabbed his Bible, it opened to a very well worn page in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 that says therefore i exhort first that all of you giving well, i'm going to do that here i urge you first of all to pray for all people ask god to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them it goes on to say here in second timothy that for this is the good and accept this is good and acceptable in the sight of our savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and that includes everyone made in the image of god in my opinion that's what it says here So, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, first of all, for Jack and his courage. And, Father, I thank you for leading him to this day where you crafted and created him to the place that he could stand before these people and those watching online and tell the truth about who he is and tell the truth about who you are. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, as it says here in 2 Timothy, for all people. I ask you, Lord, to help them, as it says here. And, Father, in the name of Jesus, I give thanks to you for every one of them. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just ask that these words that Jack has shared with us today would be plant a seed in our heart that would cause the seeds of the desire of the Great Commission to grow. And also, what you have said, that he should be quoted as the commandment that is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based in these two commandments. Father, teach us to love. Teach us to care. Teach us to be your people that will stand, yes, in truth, but will stand in love and will stand in goodness and following the example of Jesus in kindness. And Lord, we just commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: All right. Welcome back. Uh, like I said, it's a great sermon. And I, I've already talked so much about the subject in the intro, and so I'm, I'm going to pretty quickly jump into Noah's rant here. Uh, but I, again, just want to remind you that you can email the show, podcast at beyondthebattle.net, if you have questions for Jack and or Becky, and we will talk about those next week. And I will also say... Uh, it's going to be a pretty quick turnaround on recording the next episode. So you only have really a couple days from when this releases until we record that interview. So make sure you get those questions in as uh, as soon as possible. But you can also uh, email Jack anytime as he shared his, his email in, the, uh, in the, the sermon. If you are looking for support and help, if you are someone who is LGBTQ... Uh, slash same sex attracted and wrestling through those things in your life uh, as a Christian or not and you're seeking faith. Uh, jack, I know is someone that wants to wants to be there. For you, his email is Jack@ at lake dot church. So so hey, let's do this. Let's play this little siren. And what this siren's purpose is, is to, one, it's to honor and acknowledge the depth, the substance, the quality of everything you've heard up to this point on the Flipside Podcast. What a good episode it's been. Agree or disagree, quality podcast. Agree or disagree with, with the stances on LGBTQ, uh, subject what a podcast what a, what a great award worthy this alarm is meant to tell you that, that all of that is now over all of that is in the past. it's all water under the bridge it's it's ba- basically podcast over if if you're interested in quality mature deep substantive material, then you should stop listening right now. That's what this is telling you. Stop listening. Do yourself a favor. So you're going to continue listening. You're going to hear Noah's rant. You're going to go, that was really stupid. Noah's stupid. This podcast is stupid. I'm never listening again. It's your fault. Your fault, not mine. I'm telling you now to stop listening. Stop listening now. For those of you who are a little off, and you're going to keep listening, this is for you. The one, the only, Noah's Rant. Noah's Rant! Okay. So, excuse me. Got to clear the throat for the old rant. Was at Target the other day buying stuff for a church. You ever been at a place like Target? Any retail store? Grocery store, clothing store, retail, whatever. And I needed some help. I needed to I needed some help. I was looking for a certain product, didn't know where it was, needed to find an employee. I'm looking around, and I'm and I look at somebody, and I go, "Do they work here?" I kind of glance up and down, looking for a name tag. I see uh, I see a, a lady walk by in a red vest, and and my brain goes, "Oh, red! Target is red. They like the color red at Target. Big red Target as their logo. She might work here, or." She just might like red. She just might be a fashionable lady wearing a red vest. Bold, you know? And I was 50-50. Do I go approach this lady wondering if she works here or do I not? Do I stay back in the shadows still not knowing where this item is that I needed to purchase? So I look around some more. Is anyone else wearing a red vest? To confirm my suspicion that she may be an employee of the store. And I found two more people wearing a red vest. And I was confident there were not three people in the store that fashionable to wear red vests. And I, and I deduced that if you wear a red vest at Target, you are an employee. And I, I walked over to one of these said red vest wearing employees and I asked where my item was. And what do you know? They were in fact an employee. And I was right. So, But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I have certainly been in a retail store and I have approached a human individual that I thought was an employee and they were not have you ever ever been there before hey excuse me do you know where the pickles are oh i'm sorry i don't work here and they say it in such a condescending way kind of like oh you would think i would work here no i'm i'm shopping it's like yo i didn't know You, you you look like you worked here and the workers here unlike target Who is all wearing red vests the workers here are allowed to wear normal clothes to work what is up with stores allowing their employees to wear normal clothes to work with nothing on them to designate that they work at the store maybe a very small you know name tag okay i had to pop in a cough drop to uh, finish the home stretch here, so pardon, pardon if you can hear that jingling around in my mouth. But have you ever been at one of these stores, and you're you're looking at someone awkwardly, staring at them, trying to find a name tag on them? If I can only find a name tag, then I know that they work here. And they're thinking, who's this creepy dude checking me out? Why is this creepy guy staring at me? <laughs> I've been asked before. I was at Meijer. That is a regional grocery uh, everything place. It's like a Walmart. It's in the Midwest. They have everything. If you're, if you're not from the Midwest. I'm at Meyer wearing a, a solid color polo shirt. Do not ever wear a solid color polo shirt to Meyer. Because at Meyer, the employees all wear solid color polo shirts. Sometimes with name tags, sometimes not. I was wearing a solid color polo shirt and was asked at Meyer if I where something was and I had to tell someone I am not an employee of this store. What stores need when you walk into the store, is a mannequin at the front of the store. And the mannequin, full mannequin, got the head, the arms, the legs, is clothed in whatever the store employees are clothed in. If it's a blue polo shirt, the mannequin's wearing a blue polo shirt and pants. Yes, it's good for employees to wear pants as well. If employees are allowed to wear whatever they want, let me say back to the polo shirt or the red vest at Target. And there should be a sign that says, all of our employees are wearing blue polo shirts and name tags and maybe a earpiece, something that says, I work here. At Target, the, the mannequin would have a red vest and it would say, our employees wear red vests. So don't wear one. If you have a red vest on as you enter Target as a customer, take it off. Go put it back in your car. If you're wearing a blue polo shirt and you walk into Walmart or Meyer and that's what their employees are wearing, now you know. Take it off. Hopefully you have an undershirt underneath, like a nice white undershirt that you could shop in. I don't recommend no shirt, no shoes, no service. Right, we know that. If you're one of these stores where you let your employees wear whatever they want, you'll have to have that on your mannequin. You'll have to have some... Maybe you'll have to have five mannequins, and they're all dressed differently, and you'll have a big sign-up that says, Ha-ha! You'll never guess who our employees are. We got you! Good luck! Good luck out there shopping. Good luck finding your stuff. Good luck staring at random strangers. They think you're stalking them. They think you're checking them out. Ha-ha! We got you. Our employees can do whatever they want because nobody knows who they are. That is, that's what these retail stores need so that you know, at least going into it, you know what to expect. And at least if they did that, then the person I'm staring at knows why I'm staring at them. I, I have a reason. It's been explained already at the beginning of the store. And I feel less creepy. I feel less like a creeper. So, uh, what is Noah's rant for? It's really meant to make the world a better place, and it's it's meant so you, when you listen to Noah's rant, you go, oh, someone else out there like me. Some I'm not the <laughs> I'm not the only one that's asked someone if they work at the hardware store, and they they <laughs> and they they look at me. Uh, like they're about to call the police that I just asked them this question. Now, you know that that I too, Noah Filipiak, host of The Flipside with Noah Filipiak, have been there too. Have been there too. And we are all in this together. But the CEOs of the major retail stores in our world listen to the show and now they, they will help us out with mannequins at the front of the store. And in general, never wear a solid polo shirt to into a store. Just don't do it. You learn that. Noah's rat Makes the world a better place. Yo, go to patreoncom Filippiak to support the show. Beyondthebattle.net to sign up for a group. I will see you next time on the flip side.
1: The flip side with Noah Filipiac is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Filipiac.
2: www.NoahFilipiac.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K-Lake Music, used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts
1: and subscribe wherever podcasts are finish It's time to bring me closer. That's no purgatory because you in or get out. When you see him in the clouds, you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them, they been sleeping for some ages, not all gods, baby, so confused by this hatred, pulpit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list, money probably long, but short is with your days, have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Image Pointing to redemption to the one who got them splinters Cause that cross is nothing pretty So out the beauty pageants And caught up in emotions And following your passions Talking of freedom Our people need them more than an easter Or coffee shop discussions Debating over baristas Please sir, uh, this is why we inked up Even when they do the autopsy They still see him Freedom, freedom, freedom coming quickly Bars from the spirit, put it through the pre and mix it like a chemist. Put it in the airwaves and hoping that they hear it. If there's some confusion, then I hope you see him clearly. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's baby, so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preacher shouldn't aim to be a list. Money probably long, but show sure it's with your daisies.
3: Uh-huh.